Marhaba, and welcome to the Matrix Green Pill, where real people connect. Hello, and welcome back to the Matrix Green Pill podcast. We are so excited to do our second podcast in a series of conversations with PR guru and founder of Matrix Public Relations, Jack Pierce. I am joined by my co-host Mel on the show today. Hi, Mel. How are you doing? Hey, Namita. Thank you so much. I'm doing great. And I cannot wait to continue our conversation with Uncle Jack or UJ, as he's fondly called. So with over 30 years of PR journalism and marketing experience in the Middle East, Jack is certainly a well-known name among PR practitioners an elite founder member of the esteemed MEPRA or the Middle East PR Association. He has also served as its chairman in 2005 and 2006. Yes, so today we will take a deeper dive into why he started Matrix Public Relations more than 21 years ago. Matrix definitely reflects his work style, values, tips and the calm and composed attitude which is much needed for today's PR professionals. Welcome back, Jack. Thank you very much. I'm flattered to be here. So in our last conversation, we spoke a bit about your background and how you got into the world of PR. Today, we would like to talk a bit about what led you to start Matrix PR in 1999. Why did you start Matrix at a time when you were leading one of the global PR giants in the region? And what gap did you identify and how did Matrix fulfill that need? After I left the banking industry, I was going to set up my own PR consultancy then, before I had a chance to do so, I was approached to set up to work for a company called International Public Relations, which was being set up by a group of local businessmen, eight of them from the UAE, from Oman, from Saudi Arabia in particular. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to have their own public relations firm. So they decided very imaginatively to call it International Public Relations. Mm -hmm. The problem was, of the 20 people they'd recruited, were all sort of in different aspects of marketing, but none of them was from straight journalists, and none of them had any experience of PR. The first thing we had to do, it started on like the 2nd of January, two and a half Mm -hmm. years before I set up Matrix. They all came to Dubai, moved into the hotel. We booked a training room, the classroom, at the uh, Crown Plaza. And so for a week, I was doing my teaching stuff. I wrote a manual covering every aspect of public relations and spent a whole week teaching them and practical hands-on thing, getting them to have attempts at writing press releases and critiquing it for them and, you know, doing a proper school job on them. And that manual you may still have in your archives somewhere. And it included every aspect of public relations from when it was the father of public relations. It's normally considered to be Edward Bernays. And he founded it more or less at the time of the First World War when he was a consultant to the American government advising them on their how to speak to the public, the American public, about what was going on and why the war effort was necessary. So he was, to the Americans, more or less what Goebbels was to the um, Nazis in the Second World War. Not very savoury, but the real problem began when uh, the award-winning, Nobel award-winning economist, Milton Friedman, announced that the only responsibility of a corporation was to maximise profits for its shareholders. Yeah, he spoke about free yeah. trade, right? And smaller government. Yes, so. he was a brilliant economist and other things, but he just made this off-the-cuff remark, no, the only responsibility of a corporation is to maximize profits for the shareholders. Monetarism, that's what he called it. Yes, the consequences were terrible. You're not going to have fire training and 
hate fire extinguishers. You're going to contaminate your, let all your chemicals from your factory go in and contaminate the groundwater, as it did in Flint, Michigan. People were developing cancers and dying of all sorts of horrible ways. You'll know the film, Erin uh, Brockovich. Right. Yeah. The real-life film. So we had to, if you like, be the conscience of the corporations to say, no, it's not just about maximizing profit. You also have to do the right thing. Let's just move on from there and see. So how did Matrix come about? I was quite happy with the way it was going for the first couple of years. A Saudi was appointed as I was the director of operations, if you like, something like that. But a Saudi was appointed to be the general manager or managing director. And so he came in above my head, kept on asking me to do things that I considered unethical. And although they were paying me very well, I got more and more of a bad taste in my mouth. He was sort of asking me to lie and to tell untruths. I just came to a stage where I thought, no, I can't continue working like this for a firm that makes me compromise my beliefs, my ethics. So I thought the only way out of this set up on my own. And I didn't set up Matrix to start with. I thought, how am I going to do this? I haven't got a trade license. So I went and discussed it with some friends at Saatchi and Saatchi. I'm a PR guy. We've worked together on things for your clients. Could I set up my PR firm under your wing sort of thing. And they said, yeah, that would be okay. Yeah, what a good idea. So I called it Jack Pierce Associates, but it was exactly in the Saatchi and Saatchi script and uh, just like their business cards. And I moved my office into just down the, from theirs. And that's how we started up. However, when I left IPR, we had good working relationship for some time. Then they started to get a bit scared that I would start stealing their clients. So they heard about, they understood about this relationship I had with Saatchi and Saatchi. And they went and complained to the economic department. The economic department contacted myself and they contacted the general manager of Saatchi and Saatchi and summoned us over into the office and told us about this complaint against us, that I wasn't actually really an employee of Saatchi and Saatchi. He knew me anyway, because I've done some work for them. He said, obviously, I know the name Saatchi and Saatchi. The whole world knows the name Saatchi and Saatchi. <laughs> so we said, what can we do about it? And he said to me, you'll have to set up your own company. And I went, oh, how do I do that? He said, let me, and he walked me across the corridor and introduced me to the man who told me exactly what I had to do. I had to go back to the UK. I had to get a copy of my um, university degree, which proved I, was a, I had a university degree as a teacher. And then I come back into the country and he took me through all the stages of setting up an educational consultancy. So that's not really public relations. So I asked to say, can you also put in there an advertising consultancy because we're getting publicity? And so I also said, can you add on as a research consultancy because we also have to do research? Because there was no such category as public relations in the economic department's books. So I did all that. I set up my own company, changed the name to Matrix, because I thought that once I've set up my company, I could help others set up under the remit of my trade license. So for a while, we sponsored a training company. You may well remember my niece, Wendy. Wendy. Yeah. Working for the training company, yeah. Matrix Training Solutions. For a while, we also sponsored a friend of mine who was setting up a recruiting firm. You know, if I could help somebody, I would go out of my way to try and help them. Gradually, they slipped away and did their own thing. And so it was just left with Matrix PR. So that's how I set up my own PR firm. Okay. So what gap 
did you identify basically and how did you decide on the name Matrix? I mean, was it the movie and the cool outfits or the style of functioning? Interesting. It wasn't mine. It was um, Carolyn. So she said, why not The Matrix? It was just after The Matrix film, which I had enjoyed the first one, <laughs> not the subsequent ones. The reason it was The Matrix is because when we were doing a PR campaign, we had things to do, a list of things that we were going to do for the client down the left-hand page. And on the cluster top of the page was when we're going to do them. So we were using a matrix for all our planning. So why not matrix public relations? Was it that simple, actually? Yeah, simple as that. Did that influence the logo design uh, that's currently being used? Yes, that cross-hatching was because of the matrix. The green oh. color, that was just, somebody came up with a color like that. That is such an awful color. It's got to be right. So moving on, Jack, Matrix has never really had any sales or business development persons. Was there any particular reason behind that? Yes, um, I didn't think we needed them because nearly all our work was referrals from somebody else or people knew my name. They would come and people would contact me and say, hey, would you like to come and pitch for our business? I don't know if that's still the same today. That's about 80% of our business, I think. Yes, I always thought it was sort of something we did we spent 10% of our time with every year, employing somebody 100% of the time to develop sales. I just thought the lead would come towards us. We'd go and pitch yeah. for the business. Sometimes we get it and sometimes we wouldn't. But that was uh, that's the way to do it. People say that uh, one of the reasons you started uh, Matrix at the time that you did was you had this philosophy of treating every client like a big fish in a small pond. Is that true? Is that one of the reasons why you started Matrix to give a more personalized experience to customers and clients? I wouldn't say that. We had some very small clients. We also had some big clients. You know, we had the biggest bank in the Middle East, in um, Mushrek Bank. Obviously, they were our clients for a long time. Long time, yeah. And they were a big client, you know. Oh, we did some crisis management for them. It was at the time of the 9-11, which was 2001, the 9-11 bombers. We discovered that all but one of the bombers on that flight had Mashrek Bank credit cards. And we were a little bit concerned that it would get out into the public domain. So we had a big, long meetings about what we would do if it did ever go into the public domain. As it happened, it never did. But that was a bit of a scary time for us. We feel at uh, Matrix, we have continued with the value system that you've put down, the core values at Matrix remain the same. And the experience that the clients have, a lot of that comes from everything the agency has inherited for you. Before we move further, I think I'm going to let Namata take you down Jack's uh, rabbit hole. Absolutely. So welcome to Jack's rabbit hole. And today's question is, how can one encourage creative thinking within their organization? Brainstorming. I was a great believer in brainstorming, that you just get all your staff. And sometimes with some clients, we used to meet up once a year with the, their advertising agency, their packaging companies, their research right. companies, whatever it was, and a few of their marketing people and us just to say, well, let's have some ideas. What are we going to do over the next 12 months? Everybody was encouraged just to throw out ideas. And I always stress there is no such thing as a bad idea or a wrong idea. 
because it might inspire something creative in somebody else. They said, no, we don't do it like that. We do it like this. Uh And so that's how you get creative. Also, I just happen to be a creative person. I just always have been creative. I remember one particular thing from Delta Airlines. We were asked to help them to launch Delta Airlines, long-haul flights. Our first flight from the Middle East direct into the USA. So it's a big deal. They asked me to write the press release. So I got a bit creative and I did my first draft of the press release. And you can take off from Dubai at about midnight and fly over to Atlanta, Georgia, and land there in time for breakfast. And then if you wanted to, you could have also fly with Delta Airlines over to San Francisco in time for lunch. And if you really wanted to, you could fly all the way over to Hawaii in time for supper, in time for dinner. This was the most imaginative press release they'd ever had. Wow! Better than any of our agencies around the world. So they were full of praise. I guess I'm just lucky to have a bit creative. Amazing. Yes. And that was a very good tip as well. We do a lot of brainstorming sessions at Matrix. I think that's something that you probably have started in the organization. I learned it from Nigel Perry. We used to do it with Pepsi Cola, which was a client of ours. That's the one I remember the most. Pepsi. We had, we called the War Council. We had a War Council with Pepsi Cola Mm because for years, Coca-Cola had been blocked from the Middle East because of the reasons, the political reasons. So when Coca-Cola were going to come back into the region, we had a meeting. What are we going to do to make sure we remain the giants of the soft drinks industry? And so we said, all right, we've got to buy up the most attractive billboard spaces so that you can't get them. And we've got to do this and we've got to reduce our price of that. That was a big, big um, brainstorming session. Thank you for that, Jack. And now on to our next segment, which is called your green pill moment. So yeah. if you took the green pill to go back in time, would you change anything? And if you could change only one thing about your journey, what would it be? I've often thought about this. I've thought about this relative to I'm writing my memoirs for my son because he's so much younger than I am that I'm not going to be able to have chats with him and tell him about some things in my life because I'll be dead before he's of an age to be interested. So I'm writing my memoirs down to tell him all these thoughts and ideas about what would I have changed. The only thing I would definitely not have done would start smoking. That was a very bad idea. But apart from that, no, it's been quite an interesting rabbit hole that I've been going down with lots and lots of twists and turns. And you phone up, you want to talk to me. People want to talk to me and ask me about my life. Did I really do all these different things? Most people find it unbelievable that I've gone from being a hire salesman to being a school teacher to being a, working on a building site as a labourer to being a water sports instructor, traveling all around the world, to being an editor of a magazine, to being a PR consultant, working for international firms, and then setting up on my own. They think, God, how did you get all that into your life? And I really don't know. I just kept doing things, other people's suggestions, making the best of it. Thank you for that, Jack. So you wouldn't really change anything about your journey because they've all added, all these experiences have added to you at every step of the way. I think some things were, if I'd known that was going to happen, I'd have done something different. Tactically speaking, yes, I would have done that. But I don't know. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. So you just got to do as well as you can with the information that was available at the time. Thank you for that, Jack. And with that, we come to the end of this episode and we'll be back with the next episode. So stay tuned. Marhaba and welcome to the Matrix Green Pill, where real people connect. 